Welcome to the Card Custom Home and Architecture Podcast, the podcast that guides those looking for a home that expresses their unique lifestyle to release creative DNA into their project and have it completed while keeping the artistic vision alive. Now, here's your architect creative, J.D. Carling. Today is zoning day on the Card Custom Home and Architecture Podcast. But even more exciting, I'm here with Jared Akers, one of our project managers, and he handles a lot of the zoning stuff. In addition to being a, a project architect who went to University of Florida with me, so he's adept at all the aspects of architecture. He's also an expert at zoning. So I thought I would have him on today for our discussion. Is there anything you want to tell us about yourself, Jared? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. No, I'm uh, generally a nice guy, I think. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> no, like you said, I, I studied architecture. I've been working in architecture field for over 10 years now in various aspects of commercial, restaurant, residential. And I actually studied at UF where you were my TA. So uh, yeah. you taught me a lot of uh, the foundations and reconnected. And Yeah, it was cool. Mm -hmm. You came in at just at the right time because I think like all the work I was having was picking up and I, and that's actually a lot of the zoning stuff I needed help with. And I think we talked at Lineage Coffee a couple times mm -hmm. and then we just started talking some more and it's been very helpful. So thank you for that. And so now that we've been doing a bunch of projects together that are both commercial and custom homes, we've got a bunch of different, I would say, say like scenarios or something. Mm -hmm. Right. And I guess to start off, zoning is usually the first bit of research that we do mm -hmm. for the property. So when a client talks to you or us about wanting to build something, we have to go to the zoning code figure out which jurisdiction is telling us how much to build and how dense it can be, how big it can be, where on the property it can be. And just in general, there's zoning maps that either dictate that it is part of a residential area or a multifamily area, mm -hmm. a commercial area or a mixed-use area. There could be more industrial and agricultural areas. Actually, we do have one house right now that's zoned for agricultural but right, yeah. a subcategory of that is that a residential can be used on this property so it's yeah. still zoned agriculture it's more remote in the countryside mm -hmm. on wetlands near wetlands of florida but you're still able to use that for a residential property which is a conversation we've gone with the client about how much can we build and the wetlands have been an additional limitation to that as well yeah, so that, this is one of my favorite ones I wanted to talk about today because the agriculture part of it dictated that we wanted to do two houses, mm, but mm -hmm. they because of the wetland, they couldn't split the property. There was a minimum lot size. Mm -hmm. If we have one property and we want to subdivide it into two, but we needed a minimum lot size, and then the wetlands added more complication to say... The zoning department came back and said, you actually need a minimum usable lot size. Mm -hmm. So wetlands are not usable in this case. And that really condensed our usable area mm -hmm. even more. So technically, we're not 
able to do subdivide it just straight in half mm -hmm. and have two houses yeah. anymore. But we are able to look at this with building a primary house and with an ADU, yeah. which is an additional dwelling unit. Yeah. When you found that in the code, that was, I feel like that almost like saved it. The ADU. Yeah, because mm -hmm. because they were agricultural, they were allowed to have a bigger ADU. Mm -hmm. So they actually didn't, it, in a way, it almost like saved them trouble. I think they couldn't get as many bedrooms as they wanted in the ADU. Right. But talking to them, it wasn't like a must have because they had the other house. The ADU mm -hmm. was something that I think will eventually be more of a guest house. But we could use agricultural to build a bigger house, which increased the allowable size of the ADU to the point where it didn't really need to split right. the property. Now, the thing where that's important to figure out, and this is a question I've had a bunch in different cities, is the can you build the ADU first? Yeah, so this has become a unique question for this property and a conversation we're actively in with the zoning department of Orange County. You typically an ADU is the additional dwelling unit. There's typically a primary residence mm -hmm. already built or being built in mm -hmm. the process, and the ADU will be typically in the backyard or the rear of the primary residence built afterwards. But in this circumstance, we're not able to just subdivide this property into two. So we're presenting this idea of, in the end, there will be a primary house and an ADU, but... The question is, can we build the, this smaller ADU first? Can the client move in mm -hmm. and and occupy this? And then in the near future, we build the larger primary house. Yeah. So, and I, I think it was funny because when you, we were looking this up, I looked at another city and mm -hmm. it, they, I think it was either Orlando or Winter Park. And it like explicitly says you can build the ADU first. Okay. If the ADU is big enough to be, one, it would fit in the size of the primary home's ADU. Because usually the ADU is like 50%. And that, that's something we'll get into. So with this one, we'd have to find out, can we do it as long as it's big enough to be a single family home? And if the stipulation is, if we build the bigger house later, this would fit as like the child ADU of the main the main house. Yeah, there's specific limitations to how big an ADU can be. And in this instance, it can be either 50% of the primary residence yeah. or up to 1,500 yeah. square feet. So we're trying to work backwards and say, can we just build the 1,500 square feet now? Mm -hmm. And the primary residence can be 3,000 square feet yeah. in the future. So mm -hmm. it, it's bigger. The ADU still fits within the 50% threshold. Yeah. And so I think another thing is, yeah, we were talking about this before the episode. This is the effects part of like the mm -hmm. architectural DNA, but everyone comes with their desire, right? So it was to have two houses. And one of the things we wanted to check is like, okay, we figured out there's a 1500 square foot ADU, but that second house, I think one of the must haves wasn't the bedroom count, but it was a courtyard house. And so we went ahead and did checks to make sure that 
with the 1500 square feet, we can do a courtyard house mm-hmm. so that they're least getting what they want in that. In this case, it worked out and we we're able to do a house this way. So we want to make sure we can go ahead and design the second house to make sure that's going to fit everything. So it's kind of like a chicken and egg. Mm-hmm. Thing, you know? Yeah, we're almost working backwards here, yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> which is yeah. interesting. But like you mentioned, generally people have a property in mind or mm. they like this property. Let's build a house on this. Yeah. And the first question is how much can you do? So that becomes a research into zoning a conversation with the zoning department yep. because it can be written out as much as possible, mm-hmm. but in the end, corresponding with actual personnel from the zoning department yep. can be the most helpful. And so, like you said, you start with this broad dream, but it's the wetlands, the environment, mm-hmm. and just the effect of this code that has been placed on this property. Yeah. It starts to limit that, but working with a team to make that interesting. Like ideally it's not going to take away from your end result, but it's going to inform it more and it might steer you in a certain direction, but that is helpful to just create something beautiful out of that. Yeah. Yeah. I I totally agree because what you mentioned was their dream and then there's wetland Mm -hmm. and then there's this rule. So they have Mm -hmm. the wetland is like the piece of nature that's very significant Mm -hmm. on the property and most people want to run from it. Mm-hmm. But if you've got the, you know, I think the people who are listening or, you know, wanting a custom home are the people that want to, like, build on a, a cliff or the wetland is something that's beautiful to them. So the journey is worth the the effort. And so we're finding ways to, like, integrate the wetland and travel around the wetland mm-hmm. in a meaningful way and interact with it with these these two buildings that we're designing. But you mentioned a meeting with zoning, which mm-hmm. makes me think this house we're talking about right now is in the country. Mm-hmm. But there's another one that's also in Orange. It's in the city of Orlando, but it's Orange County. Mm-hmm. And trying to figure out the size of the house, you had a fun time with mm-hmm. the zoning on that yeah. one. So can you tell us about that a little bit? Well, yeah. So before we were talking about this countryside house, this one's a more typical suburban area mm-hmm. lot and but with a similar idea of building an ADU in the backyard. Now, the primary house is already built, mm-hmm. so this would be an additional dwelling unit in the backyard. And so we have to first make sure it can fit in the property, the orientation. There's some setbacks from the, the side and the mm-hmm. back. But looking and researching into the code, there's it specifies how big this ADU can be measured for the living square feet. And so when you come across a term like that, we have to make understand and make sure that we're all on the same page. What is the living square feet? And mm-hmm. this turned out to be more specific to say it's measured from the inside mm-hmm. of the house yeah. for the space that is heated and cooled. Mm-hmm. So that may sound technical and too meticulous, but it actually does make a big difference that we're not including the thickness of the exterior wall, which can add enough square feet to put us over the threshold. So we have to be very specific and to include specific notes to say, we've measured this, we want to talk to you and make sure we're on the same page. This is the living square feet that can be built. Yeah. One of the credits I've got to give is, I think you met with zoning twice in person Mm -hmm. and then 
had at least two emails with them. And then we had a fifth reviewer look at it who was the first one. Each step during the process, we were checking with them. This person came back and told us. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it, which was the official, our first official yeah. review yeah. said it didn't work, even though we talked to a couple of people who had some emails before that said, yeah, it looks like you're on the right track. Like mm-hmm. it should be work. And I guess just the nature of multiple people working in the same department, mm-hmm. but looking at it with a different set of eyes. Yeah. But we had records and notes from our previous meetings to, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just coming back and responding with a conversation of like, oh, this is our intent. This is how we defined mm-hmm. living square feet. We hope you agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in this case, it definitely worked, but it, it was funny because when we got the message, I was like, okay, from now on, mm-hmm. I'm just going to always measure to the outside because that's more conservative. Right. And if they had changed their mind, which they are allowed to do, it happens all the time, even though there's mm-hmm. things that shouldn't be. It's just too much effort sometimes for people to want to get legal things involved. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it would have made the building smaller and they mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily got everything they wanted. So being that meticulous and not just being conservative got them more of the success they were looking for as as far as usability. And I just appreciate being able to go through that. And so, and it doesn't always happen like that in every situation. Like on the ADU thing, we're still pending. Are we going to be able to do the smaller one first as long as it meets the requirements of a primary single family home when it's built mm-hmm. and the future one is bigger? That The verdict is still out on that, but we're doing as much analysis and research to provide the drawings in a way that the people want to see. You may hear no at first mm. this time and then present it to them again and you find out more information and it may turn to a yes. I think the important thing is either way, don't always take everything as a guarantee or at face value. Mm. It's more continue working through the process because I think when we got the emails back, it was a different code section. Like there was like 38, 14, 26 mm-hmm. code mm-hmm. section says this. It didn't have the definition for living area that you were talking about, Jerry. Mm-hmm. It just said half. The definition of living area was only in the primary house spot. Mm-hmm. And then so they didn't give it to us in that meeting. So I think it's like yeah. having the multiple conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we haven't gotten to this yet, but eventually there could be variances within the zoning that you could apply for. But going back to not taking it as either guaranteed or Mm -hmm. at face value, like even though there's a set of rules in place, Mm -hmm. definitions could be interpreted differently. But also through a conversation, maybe there is an option for a variance Mm -hmm. to allow something that you're an exception to the rule, basically. That's a really, I'm glad you brought that up because there's another project uh, that we're working on that I might I might have mentioned it on the podcast before, but it has a wetland, mm. but the wetland was so bad that it made it imp- like impossible to build a house without paying like a $200,000 fee mm. just for the wetland. And so a full variance in every city I've ever worked in is based on hardship that's not created by what you want to do. And so the right to build your house they saw as a hardship. Like you bought this property, it's zoned residential. Mm-hmm. So we did apply for one and we got it on the first try. Oh, wow. Okay. That was really cool. The house we talked about later today, the wetland 
isn't creating hardship, but I think that there's enough potential for success on their property. They mm. won't need it. They don't need it. So that's good. But there's two types of variants I've dealt with. This one is like the full, the commission has to approve it, like this wetland one. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes there is administrative variants where the building official is allowed to sign off on something because a particular, it's usually like on smaller lots and there's like a particular overlay of like a utility that has an easement. And then if you move over three feet, then you'd be able to build the house. Mm. So they'll give you like a variance on something. So I think there was one project they had where they gave a 20% variance on the setbacks if there was a utility in the way. Mm. And so that's like a much shorter process. So I'm glad you brought that up because sometimes we forget that there's options to be able to apply for. Right. It may look too limiting yeah at the start mm-hmm. but there could be an option to yeah. maybe just push the boundaries a little bit yeah in winter park on new england there's a house that we've started working on and this one is one that's like a very small mm. tight lot and tell us a little bit about the roof because it's a unique yeah you're the roof driveway situation is like roof driveway like, yeah roof and in driveway, that, I mean, there's more to it, but yeah. It, it's yeah. You can it, as much as you need to explain it. Go no, it's it just it's just interesting that the roof and driveway are connected in a mm-hmm. problem, which yeah. isn't usually the case. But like you said, this is a tight property, mm-hmm. and it's actually coming down to like very small percentage or a matter of inches or mm-hmm. square feet. But the zoning code, in addition to like what you can build there, what the use is, how much you can build there. They're also talking about impervious yeah. versus pervious yeah. square feet. And mm-hmm. so pervious square feet, meaning water can't penetrate through there. Mm-hmm. Impervious is water that can penetrate. And mm-hmm. that's to help with rain downfall and drainage. And so that you're not just creating a whole property filled with concrete. And mm-hmm. where does all this water runoff go? So more specifically in this property, if a roof overhang is more than three feet beyond your building, mm-hmm. everything below that roof is considered impervious. Did I say those backwards? <laughs> impervious. The first time you did, but it still made sense to me. Like <laughs> I think one, we mix those one, up all the time. But. Yeah, one is the water gets through and the other one it doesn't. But yeah, you're right. The right. overhang is impervious, yeah. Okay, back to the, yeah, yeah if, if three feet or more, everything below that is considered impervious yeah. mm-hmm. where water cannot penetrate. Mm-hmm. So what we've had to do is meticulously kind of outline the roof footprint mm-hmm. and meticulous area calculations. If we make this roof big enough, will it surpass the impervious ratio that we're allowed? So that's just one factor of many that determines part of the design and, and how big and how how much you can build. It's kind of cool because it's like we had the driveway, but we still need a paved area. So then we want the paved area as much as possible under the roof overhang. We're not paving some area that could be contributing to right. If it's area. already if it's already included yeah. within the roof outline, yeah. then and then it also contributed because the idea of the house is like this, uh, you know, like the butterfly wing type thing. Mm. And so having that extra overhang kind of adds more of a drama in a functional way to the space. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in that sense, the code kind of contributed to the narrative and I always like it. Mm-hmm. You can find the effects on your property and reincorporate it into like artistic mindset or narrative that the client has for their custom home. On paper, it's a limiting 
factor. Right. But can you make that interesting? Yeah. And I think that's like, it's like the laws of the universe. So gravity is what makes architecture interesting at all. If we had no gravity, mm-hmm. then you could just yeah. throw everything everywhere, but it's our fight against it or fight with the rules that makes things beautiful. And so in addition to that, it's the rules that people have made. A group of people have decided they don't want water runoff in this area. Mm-hmm. And Winter Park has, has a lot of stormwater issues from the 60s mm-hmm. because they didn't do any stormwater management. So they've come up with tons of different rules in Winter Park. They, everyone has to handle stormwater on their own lot, which is a surprise to a lot of people, especially because a lot of the lots are very tiny. And you've had to do this on your own house. Yeah, yeah. When we did our house, we had to do it. And uh, it's so funny because every house that goes up, there's like a little dish in the yard to uh, handle the, the stormwater. Yeah. So you put the rain barrel in the back at the bottom of the roof. So we're mm. finding a way to gather that rainwater and, and mitigate it from just running back out onto the street everywhere. Well, my goal was Jared's done so much with zoning and it's always a unique story every time. Like every, all three scenarios today were totally different. Different, right. And there's a ton more that we're working on together. And for you, for your property, look for the opportunity for whatever these rules are to inform your narrative or your story and be a part of it. Don't reject it. Or a lot of times people can see zoning as like, oh, this is like bothersome, Mm. right? Like I wish I could do a bigger something, but you were attracted to the property for a reason. If you already own it, then own it, like own the rules, own the things that are on it and we'll sculpt it together to make it something beautiful. If there's something that's very important to you and you're still in the process of looking for a property, these are things that you want to look into with an architect. Sometimes your realtor will have access to that information or your builder so that you can be prepared to be able to tell the narrative the way you want to do it. So thank you for joining the CARD Custom Home and Architecture Podcast. Jared, thank you so much for being my guest today. Yeah, happy to be here. It was an honor. Hopefully we'll pick another topic sometime. You can be my guest again. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you very much. Have a good day, everybody. We want to see you go from dreaming of your custom home to living in the home of your dreams. If you're ready to start, go to ca-rd.com and hit book a consultation to start your journey officially. Thank you so much. Happy zoning. (laughs) Happy zoning, Allie. Thank you for listening to the Card Custom Home and Architecture Podcast. If you are ready to start your journey of a lifetime designing and building a custom home or project, sign up for a free consultation at ca-rd.com today. We look forward to the journey together and making something unique for you and your family. If you have any topics you want discussed or questions about your custom home design for future episodes, send us a message via our website, ca-rd.com. And again, join us next time for another episode of the Card Custom Home and Architecture Podcast.